The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Take it that means no. Or maybe nobody wants to be the first person. Sometimes it's, my voice gets a little soft, so you could either move closer and or you can't hear me, you can put your hand up. Um, Something brought you here, right? You're here. So, <laughs> unless you just wandered in the door <laughs> in a completely random act, something brought you here. So here's a question: um, We're going to interact for the next hour or so. Um, what would it take for that to meet? the request of coming here. Yeah, what what could happen in the next hour that would make you feel like, okay, that was exactly what I wanted to have happen. Um, there was a, um, and there still is, a a sort of a method of psychotherapy developed in Chicago, I think in the 50s or early 60s, called focusing. Anyone ever heard of that? Yeah. And, and this was um, sort of like a fundamental question, a variation of a fundamental question. I, I think the question they asked more was, what is stopping you from being fully present right here? So another way to put it, well, what needs to happen? What could happen that would make you feel like, okay, that was it. That's what I came for. And so take a moment. You don't have to uh, speak out unless you want to. But just do a personal inventory. What is your personal response to that? happen in the next hour that would make this worthwhile. So here's my response. Um, I'm just making it up. Uh, but together we would um, create a sense of practice that felt um, authentic, 
that felt um, inspiring that we would walk out the door feeling like okay I'm going to do it that's that's what my life is about so did anyone come up with any answers that they'd bold enough to share thank you um I guess what I would like to hear is a different perspective on some some aspect of Buddhist practice or meditation practice. Something different that I haven't heard before, or a different way of looking at it. Okay. This is good, this is like market research. <laughs> Anyone else? I kind of like see you levitate. <laughs> <laughs> that would do it, huh? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I came here primarily to give my mind a break from the day, the momentum of mm-hmm. the thought and the action through the day. Mm-hmm. I have another question. What 
be asked of you in terms of creating this goal? What, 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 what does this ask of you? What, what, what would you have to bring forth or let go of? Or, you know, what is the request of you to make this goal? Or, however you want to frame it, happen. Responses to that? Okay, I'll go first. Um, what I thought was be available, uh, to learn, to listen, to connect. risk so to learn to listen to connect to take a risk okay anyone else my full attention hmm answers? Listen from nothing. To listen from nothing. So there's two points I'd like to make so far. And one is about the nature of inquiry and the consequence of inquiry. That's, so that's one point, both sides. Um, inquiry quite naturally um, wakes us up. 
it's sort of like saying, and what's going on? And, um, and then we have a variety of responses to that. You know, sometimes maybe our response is, oh, just leave me alone. Um, I've had a hard day and um, I need to recover or I, I need to heal or whatever it is. I've had a hard life. Um, or I'm caught in um, a deep place of something, of sadness, of hurt, of anger. Um, so inquiry um, asks us to somehow step out of the stream of our karma this great drama of a human life of being born into this body in this time in this way in this culture of having the parents that we had the education this culture this, this societal influences the neighborhood you grew up in So we can be entranced in that drama, swept up in it. And inquiry is saying, now what's happening? What's going on? So in the sutras, in the early sutras, it says something about pausing. And it's interesting because it's not like you can stop the flow of your life. But you don't have to. You don't have to completely stop the flow of your life for there to be inquiry, to, to ask, now what's going on? Somehow it can arise out of the flow of our life the same way we came here. Something out of the flow of our life brought us here said to us it would be a good idea to go there tonight so we align ourselves in, in, in the words in Buddhist terms we align ourselves with our own karma so in our sitting it's not that the, the activity of mind the thoughts, the feelings, the images, the memories, the fantasies. It's, these, these are not an enemy that have to be sort of overwhelmed or suppressed or somehow wrestled into submission. We align ourselves with them and we bring a sense of spaciousness. or more classically described, non-clinging. The difference between noticing, acknowledging, releasing, and getting caught up in, getting enmeshed in, getting lost in, 
So right in our meditation, we can have this quality. And in our meditation, the question what's happening is embodied simply in attention. You know? Maybe it has no words at all. It's just attending to. But our life is more than mere phenomena. We imbue our life with meaning and substance. And so, this is where our inquiry comes in. What do you want out of this? Hmm. I want to check in. I'd like to release some of the anxiety I'm noticing. Um, Whatever. What do we find when we ask that question? We find ourselves. We find the conditions of our own being right now. So our practice is to just meet that without immediately thinking, this needs to be different, you know. To just meet it and make contact with it. This in itself is the activity of non-clinging. We don't cling to our own agenda. And, and this sets the basis for not clinging to what comes up. So the nature of inquiry and the consequence of inquiry. A sense of pausing and a sense of spacious non-clinging. Somehow we just acknowledge how it is. Hmm. What's happening? Why, why did I come here? What would make it full? This would. Okay. Doesn't need to be held and judged against something else. It's just how it is for me. It's not a better answer than someone else's. It's just how it is. So that's point number one. And um, and then point number two is how the self relates to the request of practice. So we come to practice. I remember when I started to meditate, I thought, I want to be more grounded and more focused, and that will make my life work better. You know, if I'm more grounded and more focused, my life will work better. Sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, And then this other question comes up, is what is asked of you to make that possible? So it's like there's two questions. What do you ask of practice? 
And what does practice ask of you? So, so we come through the request of karma. And we relate through the request of dharma. And, and this is a somewhat um, ambivalent relationship for us. You know? Quite naturally, the request of our karma will be persistent. I want what I want. You know? And that agenda comes up for me. I want pleasure and I want to avoid pain. I want to be satisfied. I want to be loved. I want some sense of accomplishment or something. And what is the request? practice asks of me. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. It, it turns it around. Oh, what does life ask of me? Hmm. To not be stuck in selfishness? person, each thing, with an open heart and an open mind, um, to be generous, so in classic Buddhist terms we talk about taking refuge. Actually, I don't know if you do. It's a classic Buddhist notion. Um, so in some ways we could say we take refuge from suffering. This is a request. You know, this, this is Shakyamuni's teaching. We take refuge from suffering. And we take refuge in the path of practice. We take refuge in the truth of what is. And then in our human life, we, we mix these. They go up and down. Sometimes we act from the request of dharma, and sometimes we act from the request of karma. comments so far? Any questions? I can feel myself sort of getting wrapped up. <laughs> I don't want to... Because uh... we practice together, you know. Uh, um... 
maybe I do you a great disservice if I just sit here and blab away. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. And maybe it's more helpful to evoke some anxiety and make you feel like, uh-oh, am I supposed to say something? <laughs> Whatever helps you wake up, to be honest. Um, my notion of practice is to wish for you that you wake up rather than yet you sit there feeling secure and safe, feeling like, well, I just have to sit here and, you know, pay attention if I like it and sort of just whatever if I don't. Um, so how do those ideas fit for you? They seem okay. They um, they make any sense at all? Does your sense of practice for the length of time you've been doing it can it, can you see it in those terms? Thank you for your nod. <laughs> At least there's two of us, right? <laughs> Death and letting go. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we hate practice, is because it asks us to die. Uh, you, you know, our karmic life is driven by. Um, being alive. It, it, it's um, whether we think of that in a primitive sense or an existential sense. You know, what is it to be fully alive? Yeah. Um, this is the drama of our karmic life. Um, and, and in a way, um, to fully respond to the question what does practice ask of me is to let that die completely you know this imagery comes up in many spiritual practices St. John of the Cross said I live but there is no life in me and in such a hopeful way I die but I do not die. Yeah. We could say this is about clinging. When we cling to our karmic life, and when we let that die, when we let the clinging die, so sometimes in our emotional life, we feel, I have to have. If this doesn't happen, I'll just die. That's our emotional experience. That's how it feels like. Or if this does happen, I'll die. Um, I read recently a quote from um, an old quote, centuries old, 
of someone who was being taken out to be hanged. And he said, um, what a beautiful world. I never noticed before. That's what he was seeing as he was being taken to the gallows. Sometimes it seems like we only start to notice the attributes of our life when their departure is imminent. Or seems imminent, real or unreal, real or true or not true. I remember when I became a monk, you know, in Thailand, I was given um, meditate on death. That was the first practice. Everywhere you look, think, and this too will perish. I thought, this is a really depressing practice. <laughs> And I secretly refused. <laughs> I secretly resisted it. Um, and maybe that was exactly right for me then. Uh, maybe, um, maybe we need to be attentive to where we're at and administer the medicine of the Dharma like a skillful physician. Any other comments? Can you more on the Dharma? Of the Dharma? Oh, okay. Well, the word Dharma means law or truth. Uh, law in as much as we might call it the, the natural order of things and truth of the truth of what is so the truth of what is that there's, that there's a natural order to things that, w that when we get caught up in self-centered thinking uh, desperately and greedily trying to get what we want um, that becomes narrow and constricted and, and leads to um, a dissatisfaction and a suffering you know this was Shakyamuni's teaching this was Shakyamuni's expression of Dharma And then his teaching was, each person can find the heart of practice by discovering for themselves what their dharma is. What, what is going on in my life? And how can I um, 
bring expression to this life? What is the truth of this life? What is its natural order? What in my life brings ease and harmony and peacefulness and openness? And what in my life brings conflict, confusion, suffering? It's like we have our personal dharma. It's like if you look at your own psychology, you can see how to relate to your own personality traits in a way that's skillful and opening, or how to relate to them in a way that causes more suffering for yourself and for those others who are in relationship to you. Does that make sense? And, and, and then... Um, so, so this is uh, it has a certain kind of contextual quality to it the, the, its relevance is in the context of our life and then there's a universal quality because each human you know is born lives and dies each human experiences the full array of emotions has a body, a breath and a mind so there is that quality to it too okay. could you do some commentary on karma and then how they relate? Um, so I think the same you know, we're born to a particular set of parents until we manage to reproduce ourselves out of test tubes, you know, and then maybe we'll, that'll be its own particularity too, you know. So we're born to a particular set of parents. We inherit a certain genetic code. Um, we have certain childhood experiences, certain education. We're taught certain cultural values. Um, so these are the conditions. And then within that, we, we take, um, we act, we create um, habits of body, of speech, of mind, of emotion. Uh, so this is our conditioned existence in Buddhist terms and then so each moment there is both the experience of the moment and the personal history and they meet and create the moment so this is our karmic life the history of conditioned existence meeting what is and if that can be met with awareness if we're awake in that moment we see what's going on if we're just caught up in the drama of it all then we're just replaying. You know, we're 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 renewing the habit. 
Whenever this happens, I get angry. Okay? There I go. Did it again. Just renewed the habit. I know all people like this can't be trusted. Okay? Here's another one of them. Can't trust him. We just renew the habit. Um, or do we meet each moment as if it never happened before? Huh. This assembly has never happened before. How amazing. How can we celebrate that fact? Its uniqueness, its... Um, unpredictable quality. Not one of us in this room knows exactly what's going to happen. And we can overlay on that some um, assumed predictability. Oh, I've been to lots of Dharma talks. We just sit there and then this happens and then that happens and then we all get up and go home. somehow we can just be here with the fresh originality of the moment. So the conditionality is the karma. The originality calls forth the truth of what is. This moment hasn't happened before. We don't know what's going to happen. And if we pay attention, we learn something. We're taught the teaching is given. And that's what we call Dharma. result is fear. Um, so fear is about fear of lack of safety. Pleasant might happen. Um, well, if we go a little deeper, that there is not present the capacity to deal with whatever could arise. Um, unnerving to think that none of us know what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes or so. 
how do we know we'll be able to cope with it? That maybe uh, some of our uh, deep fears, maybe we'll be embarrassed or shamed or harmed or something. Um, so quite naturally, we have fear. Uh, and then we try to compensate for it in different ways. Okay, well, I'll defend myself like this. And often that's, that's not happening at a conscious level. That's... Um, um, not something we're aware of. Um, so this entering the moment brings brings us closer to fear. Sometimes it's said that the gift of practice is the gift of fearlessness. that this is what it gives. Um, and this is the territory of having nothing to gain or nothing to lose. If you have nothing to gain or nothing to lose, then whatever just happens, just happens. Um, this is a wonderful ideal and, and a true guide to our life. However, and the however is substantial, we do have a karmic life. We have a life that tells us it takes certain conditions to be present for it to be okay. So do your darndest to get those conditions and to keep those conditions. And do your darndest to anticipate how that might fall apart and avoid it. <laughs> and, and that's, um, that's our fear. And as a karmic being, the challenge is how to be skillful in how we work with it. If our fear is so overwhelming and intense, well, maybe we do need to put energy and effort with a deep compassion into providing circumstances that allay our fear. Sometimes it's skillful to take some risk because it's only when we take certain kinds of risk that we learn to trust certain kinds of situation. I never do that because it's it, it might it might not work out. But it sort of it, it makes whatever that is more and more dangerous. Whereas maybe if we take a risk, um, we sort of feel like, well, you know, that was that was a little anxiety producing but I'm still alive yeah. maybe I could do that again so to have a practical response to our karmic life to meet it 
with some skillful compassion. And at the same time, to realize that it is helpful to approach, take some risk. And to realize that fear has a very significant place for us. comments or questions? This is great because I'm forgetting what I was going to talk about. <laughs> Once in the process of taking risk a couple of months ago I, I went to give a Dharma talk and then I said as I sat down, I said to myself, now what would it be like to give this talk and to say absolutely none of the things I thought of saying? So sometimes to take a risk um, draws us into our life. It's like, oh, okay. sort of wakes us up a little. That's a good one. That's kind of like we're sort of moving on this track, and you say, "Okay, politics." Um, we do live in a society, you know. And if you think about Shakyamuni and, and the development of Buddhism, and um, so the strategy was in in the model Chakyamuni proposed was remove yourself from all concerns and intrigues of the world and just do this kind of fundamental work. And for whatever reasons, uh, either wise or foolish, of the world. We pay taxes. Our taxes are spent according to the people who are elected. We have the right to vote. Our elected officials 
spend large sums of money that have enormous consequence on the whole world. The United States consumes an enormous percentage, enormously disproportionate percentage of what goes on on the planet. Um, so we can think of realms of awareness. You know, there's the realm of awareness of your own body. You know how to sit so that your spine is aligned. There's the realm of awareness of your emotional life. To know your own emotional traits. To have uh, some skillfulness and capacity in that of of your own um, of how to relate to others. And I would suggest there's a realm of awareness of um, relating to our society as a political event. You know, it's my own personal notion. And I take claim for it because I haven't read this in any traditional texts. That, that we have a responsibility. That we are part of it. We're part of a political system. And the big challenge for us is not to get stuck in good and evil, in right and wrong, in us and them, but to remember that we are doing this together. And, um, and to keep our heads clear and our hearts open. As, as we, you know, relate to the politics of our society. You know, you know I sometimes feel that um, in, you know, coming up to the time of the Vietnam War, there was a kind of religious left uh, there were wonderful people moved by the religious beliefs to do uh, wonderful work like Martin Luther King and in a way uh, there's now a religious right upholding what to my view different values and sensibilities And I feel like um, perhaps there's a request of us. I feel like there is a request of us to um, uphold the values that we consider, which I think fit more into the category of the religious left. So... Um, So that's one of the things, one of the agendas I pursue with my life is, is how to initiate and actualize 
a linking between um, what I consider core spiritual values and and the politic of relating to the excesses of what goes on from that sensibility and to do it in a way that expresses compassion because the process is the message maybe more so than anything else does that sort of address what you had in mind? I like the process expressed to me yeah. You know, if you think of Martin Luther King, you know, it's like part of, an enormous part of his power was his unswerving dignity and integrity. You know, he never sort of sold that in exchange for achieving some goal. karma and dharma and I would say that for practitioners there's a dynamic tension between these two yeah. don't have long okay I'll make this quick there's a dynamic tension but tension between those two and the challenge for us is just in our meditation the way our meditation can be a struggle between what goes on in our mind and the request to be attentive to the moment. You know, that can be a ground of struggle. That can be a ground of success and failure. That was a great period of meditation. I was so focused. Or that was a bad period of meditation. My mind was running all over the place. Um, or just sitting there with some sense of this is a struggle. So the same in, in our life in full. The struggle between our karma and the Dharma. But the creative request of practice is to have that dynamic tension be an act, an engagement that keeps drawing us back into being awake. Oh, look at what's happening now. What would it be to practice with this? That guy just cut me off in his car and I am enraged. I'm so enraged, I'd like to smash my car into him. Okay, well, what is it to practice with that? You know? What is it to bring the Dharma to being enraged? You know? It's, um, this is the creative act of practice. You know, you could say, oh, well, don't ever, ever 
feel any negative emotion. Always be filled with loving kindness and clarity and insight. Okay, that's a wonderful ideal. But in the meantime, <laughs> you live your karma. <laughs> So there's a creative request, you know, how to keep sight of the guides, of the guiding lights of our life, compassion and wisdom for ourselves and everyone else. In the context of our karmic life. And I would say to you, this is the creative agenda of our life. And, and if we try to simplify it down to, oh, don't ever be like that. If we say to ourselves, don't ever be like that. And we're just going to confuse ourselves. Your karma is your karma. You know? It's like saying to a teenager, stop acting like a teenager. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Thank goodness our kids have the wisdom to ignore us at times, you know. <laughs> Something in them rebels. It doesn't work to say, stop acting like yourself. It, maybe it works to say, don't be so lost in acting and reacting like yourself that you're closed to some poss greater possibility. So this dynamic tension, this is what the inquiring mind is relating to. And so there's a quality of exploration, a quality of learning. Not so then we know and we can hold on to that, but learning so we can savor what life is. Oh. When I was driving down here, I noticed when I was in the city, it was like myself and everybody else had this pact. Let's be a little bit more aggressive you know, in our driving. And then somehow when I got on to 280 and we had four lanes to play with and the sun was shining and, and the trees were blooming, uh, it seemed like it got mellower. You know, it was like, okay, we don't, we're not in a Grand Prix race. We can just cruise. So some of that quality. You know? Yes, there's a dynamic tension, but can we savor it? You know, can we savor this tension in our life? Huh. It's not going to last forever. probably not going to get to this ideal place 
that then we'll be like fully here okay now I can be fully here this is exactly what I wanted you know maybe you'll have moments of that but in the meantime and afterwards you know recently I was had the good fortune to be at a seminar that the Dalai Lama was at and it was in Northern Ireland you know it's a pretty intense place uh, a lot of suffering as a residue of 30 years of violence and he gave all these different kind of addresses in different situations and he'd come into the room and he'd make as much contact as he could he'd make as much eye contact and physical contact and acknowledging hello, 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 hello and shake as many hands as he could and then he'd relax as if to say it's okay it's okay we, we don't have to worry it's just us and um, in every situation that's what he did make contact and then be there and then usually he couldn't help but laugh and then people would throw all sorts of questions at him you know what do you think about Catholics and Protestants? And then he'd laugh some more. <laughs> Savoring our life, you know. Yes, we can wait until it's just the way we want it, or we can relate to it how it is. You know, this is the path of not suffering that's the in, the intended goal of Buddhism is to not suffer and it is, so this is something for us to think about deeply what is it to savor this life as it is now to go out into this warm pleasant night and uh, with some ease and to offer that to the people we meet so we can suffer a little less together so so I'd like to end with a poem I have to confess, I'm not so sure this poem is relevant to anything I said, but um, it's a really nice poem in my mind. <laughs> if I brought it, ah, I did. Even now, I remember something. The way a flower in a jar of water remembers its life in the perfect garden.
the way a flower in a jar of water remembers its life as a closed seed the way a flower in a jar of water steadies itself remembering itself long ago the plunging roots the gravel the rain the glossy stem the wings of the leaves the swords of the leaves rising and clashing for the rose of the sun the salt of the stars the crying of the wind the beds of the clouds the blue dream the unbreakable circle thank you <laughs>